tonight. I wanted to play that song, and I thought about that song as I was studying uh, this chapter because it's important for us to know some some things in this world, and and the most important thing that we need to know is who Jesus is and what He did for us. And there's a lot of ways we can find out what that is. Uh, the main way, of course, is through the Word of God because that's how we get to know God, is through His Word. And then through people who know the Word of God and study the Word of God. But is it important for God Himself to tell you that? Is that weird for me to even ask that question to you? Uh, is it important for God to tell you that you are His and He knows you and He is your salvation? Is it important for Him to tell you that? How, how is it possible for Him to do that, do you think? Through His Word, absolutely. How else? Prayer, yeah. How else? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And, and certainly uh, through other people as well. But we're going to look at, at um, Psalm 35, which is the first of what's called the imprecatory psalms. Have you ever heard of that word? imprecatory. Almost, it almost sounds like purgatory, but not quite. But this psalm and five others in this whole book are what, what you would call an imprecatory psalm. And the word imprecatory means curse. It means curse. So this is, this is a curse psalm, so to speak, I guess you could say. Um, and all six of the imprecatory psalms that are in the book of Psalms the first one, which we're going to read tonight, starts off pretty mild. But as, as we get to, to uh, 55, 59, 79, 109, and 137, the, I guess you'd say the curses get more and more intense. So you're asking, well, who's cursing who and what kind of curse are we talking about? It'll be pretty evident once we read it. But this is an imprecatory psalm. And it is a psalm of David. So let's read this. Psalm 35, beginning with verse number 1. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of a shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion <clears throat> that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause have they hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares, and let his net that he hath hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Verse 10. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which deliverest the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the, to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. 
I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the, uh, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. And they did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers in feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against me that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. This thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence. O Lord, be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so would we have it. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine heart. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteousness, my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. So we, what we have here is another situation where David uh, is calling God to take care of some people that have mistreated him. But he gets pretty severe in what he's asking God to do, and he feels pretty confident that God will do it because, for the most part, David stays within the will of God and tries to be obedient to God. So he has confidence in that. But there is a moment in uh, the reading of this scripture, and I don't know if you caught it, but we're going to talk about it, where he seemed to lack a little bit of assurance, and he seemed to lack a little bit of confidence. And, And we're going to talk about that here tonight, but let's kind of go through the verses here and see what David is asking God to do. And I, and I want you to think, I want you to think about how you feel about what David is doing. Are you on David's side with this? Uh, is he taking things a little bit too far? What's God going to do here? I want you to think about those things as we talk about what scripture is saying here. Now, the first thing we see is David talking about his adversaries and He certainly had a lot of adversaries in his life. He had a lot of people, a lot of people who fought against him, and he had uh, a lot of times where he prayed the words, fight against those who fight against me. So he was going to God a lot, and we're not real sure what specific uh, event or what period of David's life that he is is writing about here, but... We know that, that, that David was a, a great soldier, a great leader, a great king, and he experienced a lot of these types of situations where people were against him, and he would go to God and, and call out to God for help. And again, you know, for the most part, David tried to be that man after God's own heart, didn't he? 
He wanted to be what? He wanted to be a man that listened to God, that, that talked with God, and that knew God was with him at all times. So he, some would say he had a right to pray a prayer like this, and that he had a right to expect God to take care of what he was asking God to take care of. And then in the next verse, he begins to use some pretty colorful, pretty vivid words and, and language about what he wants God to do. He's actually asking God to pick up a shield and to pick up a spear and basically put on his armor and fight for him. And so that begs the question, does God wear armor? I remember seeing a, a movie several years ago, and it was one of those movies where you have your Greek gods and, and goddesses and things like that, that, you know, all that made up stuff. And uh, most of the time when you see these people in movies, they're wearing white flowing robes like you would expect angels to wear, right? But in this movie, everybody had armor on, and I thought that was unusual. And here we have David asking God pretty much to get ready to fight. Put your armor on and fight, and fight for me. And we ask that question, does God have armor? Well, if you look in Isaiah 59, verse number 17, it says this, For he put on, a right, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. So there is a type of armor that our God wears. Amen? Interesting. Interesting to know. So he's asking God to, to be, on, be on the defense and get that shield out. But he also asks him to be on the offense and get his spear out. And if you can imagine this for just a moment, our, our God Jehovah with a shield out and David kind of hidden in between the shield and God himself, and God with a spear trying to push back the... Not trying to, he can do it. Pushing back the adversary. And all the while, instead of a battle cry, he is whispering to his child, to David, everything is going to be okay. You're in the safest place that you can be at. I'm here, my shield is here, I'm going to take care of you. So you can just imagine that picture. And what was it, or what is it, that God would be whispering to David as he was in that position? What do you think David wanted to hear? He tells us what he wants to hear. And here we see maybe just a moment where David is not as confident as, as he would like for people to believe, or we may think that he is. And that is when he says this, Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Because this is something that David wanted to hear. And David needed to hear it. He needed to hear it again and again. He needed to hear it in his soul that God was his salvation and nobody else was his salvation. David was not his own salvation. Nobody else could be David's salvation. He wanted to hear from God. And he wanted to hear it in the deepest part of himself. God saying, I am your salvation. So what we see here is that because the circumstances were as difficult as they were and as trying as they were, that he was maybe losing a little bit of his assurance in God. Now, can we understand what that's like? Can we understand, have we ever been at a point, have we ever felt like maybe, maybe God doesn't have my back on this, or maybe, maybe uh, he's 
not paying as much attention to this situation as he should. And, 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 and then you start asking all sorts of other questions. Is he even hearing my prayers and, and so on and so forth? But whatever the case, David kind of had, I believe, in reading this, a, a sense of uncertainty. And what he wanted, to, wanted was that certainty again. And he knew that he could get it if God would speak to his soul. I am your salvation. He wanted that, uh, he wanted that renewing, that strengthening that, that was so necessary that it can only come when you commune with God. And when you have a, a relationship with God. Because I think you and I both know that that's where our strength lies. In our relationship with God and knowing that He is our salvation. That He is my strength. There's no other strength for us to have or for me to have than God Himself. And, that, and David knew that and that's what he was asking for. Now Spurgeon said this, I liked this quote. He said, Brethren, there is nothing that can make you strong to labor for God bold to fight against your enemies and mighty to resist your temptations, like a full assurance that God is your God and your sure salvation. So that's what we need, right? That's what we need to know. Are there times when you're wondering about that? Are, you, are there times when you, when you might doubt that? Well, we can see, I think, in David asking God to do that, some, we, we can see some, th- some things about his assurance and we can see that maybe there were times David had doubts. And do we have doubts about things? Do we sometimes question things that we know we should be 100% sure about? He was, he was also not content in those doubts. He wanted it to be different. He didn't want that doubt. He wanted that doubt gone. And he knew that the only way that it could be taken care of was through a divine source, through God himself. Because he didn't ask anybody else to tell him he was his salvation. He asked God to tell him that he was his salvation. And it's something that he wanted and it's something that he needed. And so he asked for it. So I think in the whole psalm right there, I think David is so sure throughout everything and, and, and confident that he is justified in what he's asking for. But there's that, not, not really a chink in the armor, but there's that one moment there where he's like, okay, but I need to hear this. I need to hear this, and I need to hear it from you. Now, in verses 4 through 8, we see David praying for the destruction of his enemies. And this is what he says. He said, let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. And so David wanted protection, of course, but he also wanted vindication, and he wanted... He wanted it to be seen and he wanted it to be known that he really did serve God and that he really did obey God and that God was real and God was who he said he was. And he wanted everybody that opposed God, the scripture says here, to be made like chaff before the wind and just blown away and taken care of. And then he makes reference, he says, let the angel of the Lord chase them. Now when we see that, do you remember who the angel of the Lord represents? In Scripture, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, Jesus. So think about this. In saying those words, whether, whether he knew it or not, it could be said that at that moment he was asking for help from the Son of God himself. Isn't that something interesting to think about? Because the angel of the Lord does reference 
the second person of the Trinity throughout the Bible. The angel of the Lord represents Jesus. So whether he realized it or not, he was asking for help from, from Jesus Christ. Something interesting to think about. Now then he goes on to say, without cause. He says, without cause. And he says it a couple of times. And that's important to make note of because he wants it known that they have no right to do what they're doing. Now how many times have we experienced that? How many times have we been unjustly accused of things or we have been treated unfairly and didn't deserve what we got? Anybody ever gone through that? Experienced that? And, and so he says it here a couple of times. He says, without cause. And I think what it is doing here is it's making very plain how sensitive to injustice David was. He did not like injustice. He did not like being accused. He didn't like being treated the way he was being treated because he didn't deserve it. And who else experienced that in their life? We all have, certainly, yeah, but Jesus. Jesus did. And he was certainly mistreated, and he was certainly uh, not given a fair deal at all. We'll talk more about that later, too. But then as we continue on through through the Scripture here, he makes reference to his enemies making nets and digging pits. Now, has anybody ever made a net in here? I remember one year at Bible school, uh, we had the, we were, our scripture was how God makes us fishers of men. And our, our craft, we made this little box, and what held the box lid onto the box wasn't hinges, but it was a net that we made out of rope and then glued that onto the top of the box, and that's what was the hinge of the box. It took me all week to do that. And I mean, now we're talking a net maybe about this big right here, just not even that big. And so what we see here is that his enemies are willing to take the time to make a net, and then they're willing to take the time to dig a pit so that they can catch David in it. That's just giving, giving us an idea of how uh, intent his adversaries were and how intent his enemies were and they were to overthrow the people of God. But then David comes back at him and he says, hey, let their own nets catch them. Let them fall into the pit. Let their nets catch them. Let them be caught in their own traps. And you know, we can pray that same prayer against our adversary. Who is our adversary? The devil. He is our adversary. Is there anything wrong? Because you know he's got snares and strategies and, and he's got a lot of things set against us. It's nothing wrong with praying that he'll get trapped in those snares himself and that we'll just be kept free and, and safe from all of that. But that's what David's praying for. He sees the, the, uh, the dedication and the intent of his adversaries and it bothers him once again because it's, it's, it is without cause and so he just wants to turn it all around to the, on to them and say, hey, instead of them catching me, let's catch them in their own traps. So in verses 9 through, then we move to verses 9 through 10. And we see that, you know, God, if you can do this, then this is what I'm going to do for you. It's almost like David is making a deal with God. And he says, this is, you know, I will praise you. I promise you that I will praise you as you take care of these things. He says, my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. And, you know, that makes sense because how many times 
have you asked God for something? And he, he answered that prayer. Did it make you happy? And did you praise him for it? That's, that's the appropriate thing to do, isn't it? So he's saying, God, if you know, I, take care of this, and I will praise you, and I will give you honor, and I will give you glory. And he, he says, not just from my mouth, not even just from my heart. He says, he makes reference to all of his bones. All of his bones will say, Lord, who is like you? So he's saying, with my whole being, I will praise you. I will praise you with all that I have, and, and I'll give you all that I can give. It's kind of like uh, what we did a little bit earlier, isn't it? We were using our hands and our arms and our voices. But he said, I will praise you. You come through with this, and I will praise you. All right, let's move on to the next couple of verses. Verses 11 through 14. What we see there is David talks about how... Now, this is how we begin to see how really unfair things are. Uh, because we see that David had actually previously taken care of these adversaries. He had taken care of these people. He had done some pretty nice things for them. He said, I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. And what they want to do is reward the good that I do with evil. And it bothered him. And he, and he, he remembered the dishonor of his enemies, and they were giving him... Uh, an unfair return for what he had given them. Now again, who, who else experienced this? Who received an unfair return for the good that he gave out? Jesus. Think about when he was standing on trial and he was standing before Pontius Pilate. And for the Jewish people, he had words. He gave encouraging words. He spoke truth into their lives. He... he uh, he, he showed them mercy. He performed miracles. He, he showed them love. And in return, all they wanted to do was curse him and spit on him. And they wanted to see him die. And he did that all because of his love for us. So he certain, and then, and then in dying on the cross, when we put our faith and trust in him and what he's done, then he takes you know, all that sin, all that shame, all that guilt, and in return, he gives us a new life and a new heart and new desires and hope and peace and grace and love. And what an unfair exchange. But what a beautiful exchange. Amen? Thank God for that. So let me ask you this. Why do you think that why do you think that God, well, let me say this, to the sorrow of my soul, to be misunderstood or be made the deliberate target of false accusation is great sorrow. We see in, in what David is saying and, and the words that he's using that this is causing him deep distress. Why would God allow somebody, why would God allow a man after his own heart to be falsely accused of something? Why would he allow something like that to happen to you or, or to me? Why does he allow uncomfortable things to happen to us anyway? Is there a lesson for us to learn here? Was there a lesson that maybe David needed to learn? Think about these possibilities. Maybe sometimes things like this are allowed to show us how to be humble, to, to show us humility. Uh, you know, we, we know a lot of times when we see things happen to other people, these words might come out of our mouths. 
there but for the grace of God go I. You know, it could be us. Uh, a family lost a, 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 a daughter yesterday in an accident. And for those of us who have teenage children or for any of us that have children that are of driving age, uh, that could have been us. That could have been our families. There but for the grace of God, go, that goes me. So sometimes things happen in our lives, I think, to show us humility. I think sometimes, too, God allows certain things because He wants to teach us how to pray. He wants to teach us how to seek Him and go to Him with urgent prayer. You know, sometimes we like to think we're strong and we can handle this and I've got other things I need to do before I pray. But sometimes we just need to stop what we're doing drop everything, get on our knees, and urgently seek God in prayer. Maybe that's why this David was being allowed to go through this. And I think sometimes, too, maybe God allows things like this to happen to prevent us from pursuing the things that we are being accused of. You know, he was, he was being falsely accused of things. Maybe God allowed this so that later in the future he would think back and say, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, and, I, and at one point I was accused of doing it when I hadn't. Maybe I shouldn't go anywhere near this. Maybe I shouldn't do this. There's always something the Lord's trying to teach us, isn't there? You know, He's, he's changing us from glory to glory, and his, his desire is to make us more like Him. Think about all that He went through, though. Just realize this. We will never suffer, and we will never experience anything like what he did on the cross. But he did it for us, and he did it because he loves us again. And I think maybe sometimes, too, uh, he, he allows things like this to happen so that we will learn how to, to treat people who falsely accuse us. Because automatically, uh, it's, it's human nature to retaliate and to get back and say, well, if you're going to say that about me, I'll make something up about you. And we'll see, we'll see who believes who and, and who wins this fight. Is that, the, is that the correct way for us to respond? Is that how God wants us to respond? His, I think his word says differently. And then, once again, he was talking about how his accusers gave him evil when he gave them good. And he said, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. And he talked about the remarkable love that he showed them. And in return, what they did to him is they betrayed him. And as we continue on down through the scriptures, we see he says that in my adversity, they rejoiced and they became happy in my time of crisis. So these people that he had showed kindness to and, and had taken care of, when he had trouble, all they could do was sit back and laugh at it. And this is, this is the way of the world, is it not? You know, God said, what I want you to do is I want you to love me and then I want you to love each other. And it seems like sometimes what the world is doing is the exact opposite. They don't want to hear anything about God. They don't want to have anything to do about, with God. And they certainly aren't going to love everybody because what's, why are they worthy of my love? Why are they worthy of my time? But God said, love me and love each other. And of course, his adversaries were, were doing anything but this. He said, attackers gathered against me and I did not know it. And they were hidden to David and they came up 
they came upon him as a surprise. So David's really given us a detailed account of what's going on, you know. They're, I don't know they're coming, and then they come and they attack me, and I've been, this, I've been so good to them, and this is how they, they treat me as a result of that. And, and God, I just, want you, I just want you to vindicate me, and I want you to take care of these people for me. And then again in verses 17 through 18, he is promising to praise God again if God delivers him from what he's going through. And then he's very honest with God, which David is so good at this, and he teaches us this, and we need to be honest with God too. I don't know, sometimes, uh, do you ever pray and you try to pray to impress God? Um, and you try to use words and phrases that'll, that'll kind of sway him over to your side. Have you ever done anything like that? Or when you pray, do you try to be just, just as honest as you can? You know, Lord, I don't know what words to say to you to show you what you mean to me, but there's no one else that means any more to me than you do. And, and, and David was honest with God like that. And he said, he said, how long are you going to look on, Lord, and not do anything? And he felt God was being a little passive and a little indifferent, and he wanted God to rescue him. And he said, when you, and, and God, I will praise you, and I will praise you in the great assembly. I will give you glory. And I will do it publicly so everybody will know that you have delivered your servant. So all of this, all of this that we've just talked about so far and all the scripture that we've referenced is talking about David's adversaries and what he would like to happen. And then the next part of this psalm, and beginning with verse 19, we begin to see David pray a prayer for vindication. He says, Let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies. And he asks God again to vindicate him before, before them, before his enemies. And he talked about those that hate him without cause. We've already mentioned that. They hate me without cause. And Jesus even referenced this phrase and used these very words. Uh, if you want to write this down, in John 15, 25, he said this of himself, they hated me without cause, used those very words uh, that David used there. And he said, they devise deceitful matters against the quiet ones in the land, and they plot against God's simple people. They plot against God's, plot against God's humble people. And then he goes on and says, God, you have seen this. You've seen the facts. You know what's going on. And you know that I have been falsely accused, and you know that I have been slandered. And then in verses 23 through 26, we see David again pleading, pleading with God for divine vindication. And he says, stir yourself up, God, and awake to my vindication. And again, in saying these words, he's confident. He's confident that God is going to do this. He's confident that God is on his side and he's going to take care of these, these enemies. And the vindication that he longs for, he will receive. But still, he believes that maybe God's a little too passive, so he tells God to stir yourself up. In other words, get up and get going and do something here. And, and let's make a difference in this situation. And do it, God. Do it on my behalf. And then he goes, not only that, I want them to be ashamed. And this is his plea, and this is his prayer for vindication. I want them to be ashamed and that rejoiced at my hurt. And he said, let them, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor. 
Shame them for shaming His people. Bring them to confusion for making confusion. Pull off their fine apparel and give them a, a, a raggedy suit of dishonor. And turn their rejoicing into weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And where else do we see that phrase, wailing and gnashing of teeth? When, when we're talking about what? There were, yes. So this is pretty severe stuff. This is, again, this is an imprecatory psalm. This is David and asking for certain things to happen to his adversaries. And this is the mildest of the bunch. It gets, it gets more intense as we go through those. And then looking at verse number 27, he asks that the people of God take joy in David's vindication. He wants, you know, he, he wants people, when they see what God has done and how God has answered his prayer and, and made his name right again, he wants the people to get excited and wants them to praise, praise God as well. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteousness. And let me, let me throw this in there. David did not see himself as perfect. He didn't see himself as sinless. He knew that he made mistakes. But again, he had no problem believing that God was on his side and that God was going to take care of him. And then he finishes off as he does in a lot of these psalms by wanting to make sure that, that, that people make God big in their minds and in their hearts, that they realize how big he is, and that instead of people who walk around trying to magnify themselves and make themselves look big and important, that we walk around and we make much of God and we magnify God and make him important because he is the most important thing that in this world and he's the most important person that we know. So we have a, we have a prayer of... In, of a prayer and a plea for vindication. We've got a lot of information about his adversaries. But I want to ask you this question. So how are, we supposed to, how are we supposed to react to all of this? Do you feel that David is justified in asking God to do the things that he's asking God to do? Um, I think that, that we have to take and appreciate everything that we find in the Word of God. Every scripture that we read is divinely inspired and we thank God for scripture. And I think we can take these imprecatory psalms, these psalms that are full of curses, basically, and we can combine them with psalms of repentance and hope. And what those things can do together, they can help guide our hearts into the ways that we should go and the things that we should think and and doing the things that we should do. Because unfortunately... In this world and in this life, we're going to experience difficult situations like David did. And we need to know how to respond to those things. And we need to know that there, are, there were people in the Bible that, that had problems like this as well. And, and they wanted God to get, get their enemies and just rip them up and throw them away. And, and, and then we, we need to basically, though, look at these scriptures in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and see how things have changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Think about this. Do you think that, that David really expects God to answer his prayer literally and do everything that he asked God to do? Do you think David expects that? I think our first, maybe our first response would be, I think he does, because he's very passionate about it, and he wants them to be taken care of. Only God knows. 
But I will say this, I, I hope not, because I think in his heart of hearts, again, David had to know that he was a, he was a sinner as well. And he had, he had just as much opportunity and possibility to offend other people as these people had offended him. You, what do you think about that? Does that make sense? Because none of us are perfect, are we? This was a man after God's own heart, but he was not a perfect man. So we're living in 2019. We're almost in 2020. And we have to look at these scriptures in light of the gospel of grace. We have to look at these scriptures in light of the steadfast love that God has for us. We have to look at these scriptures in light of the fruit of the Spirit that we know to be patience. You know, God wants us to develop patience. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And that patience is to deal with people who don't treat us fairly and aren't good to us. And we also have to look at things in light of the offer that God gives to everybody of forgiveness. Everybody that comes to Him in a spirit of faith and repentance, He will forgive and He will save them. Now, on the, in Matthew, we can read the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a verse in there I want to pull out that's very relevant to what we're talking about. He says in Matthew, Forgive your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Forgive your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He did not say, Pray against them and pray curses for them. But he said, Pray for your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I think what you and I have to do is we, we have to recognize that some of the feelings that we have against people who treat us unfairly and even people that we don't know that are in the public eye that do things that make us mad and, and anger us and, and get us all frustrated, I think we have to understand that these are natural feelings that we have and these are feelings that we need to talk to God about. But then what we need to do is we need to ask God for the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to forgive these people and to also pray for these people that if they're not saved, that they will hear the message of the gospel and they will respond to it. Now, we may feel like these people are so bad and have treated us so wrong that I doubt that will ever happen. And maybe what we're really saying is I hope it doesn't. Because I think what they deserve is death and hell in the grave. Maybe that's how we feel sometimes. But again, we have to go back to what Jesus preached on the mount. You know, forgive your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, for the enemies of God, he will be a mighty judge. But for you and I, for those that are his children, you know who he is for us. He is the mighty provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. And one thing that He provides for us is patience. He provides for us a desire to be obedient to Him. And He provides us with a Holy Spirit that will teach us and show us how to be forgiving of other people. And I've seen people forgive people of things that I thought to myself, there's no way that I could do that. But when I've thought that and said that, I've just limited God and what He can do in my life. And He can do anything. He can do anything as long as I'm willing to allow that to happen. So since we're a Bible-believing church, since we are a Bible-believing church, we look at these scriptures, we, we see that they are scriptural, and we thank God for them. 
and we interpret them in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We interpret them in light of the blood that was shed by the spotless Lamb of God. We interpret them in, in the light that, that the blood that He shed was for us, but the blood that He shed was also for our worst enemy. The blood that He shed was also for our worst tormentor. And He will save them if they will come to Him with a repentant heart. So we, we totally understand David, and we totally understand the thoughts that he has. But we also totally, well, we're trying to totally understand redemption and what God did in our, in our lives. And that he can, if he did it in mine, and if he did it in yours, he can do it in theirs. So I want to go back to one more thing we talked about before, before we finish up tonight. I don't want to go back to talk about David and his, the assurance of his salvation that he asked for. I want us to think about that for just a few minutes. He said, he said, God, what I want to hear you say to my soul is this, that I am thy salvation. Now, you know, we go to the doctor, don't we? And we want to be assured that we're healthy and we're doing okay. Uh, Teresa Hudson went to the doctor a couple of days ago and we, we were concerned that maybe there was something going on with her heart. And she, shared, she, allowed, she said, I could share this with you. Um, and so she was concerned, and, and, and with some of the things that were going on, it really looked like there was a heart, a heart issue. And so we were talking, and I said, uh, we talked about how, but just think about this. On the other side of all of this, on the other side of all of these tests, you're going to be able to look back, and you're going to be able to know what condition your heart is in. And you'll know that what you didn't know before you came. Because they're going to do EKGs and echocardiograms and stress tests and all that kind of stuff. And on the other side of this, you're going to know what shape you're in. And they didn't find any concern, anything of concern or any problem. And so she got to go home a day early, and that was, that was wonderful. But she was thankful for that assurance, for that doctor to come back in and say, we didn't find anything, you're fine, you're okay. And that was some good assurance and, you know, we go to God the same way. We go to God for assurance that He's going to take care of things and He's going to do this. And, and we look to God to, to take care because He said that He would and He said that He would take care of His people. But David wasn't looking for that kind of assurance. He was looking for assurance of his salvation. That's what he was looking for. That's what he wanted to know. And this is what's interesting to think about. There's so many things that, that, that we can talk about here, but even as he maybe has a little bit of doubt about his salvation, and even as he's questioning and he's asking God, you know, God, speak to my soul and tell me that you are my salvation. Even as he is having these momentary doubts, God is inspiring him to write Scripture, which in and of itself, is, is, is that not proof right there? I mean, think about that. Even as he's having these doubts, he is being inspired to write Scripture. And that question that he might have, God, are you really on my side? That was being inspired of God to, to do what? To show you and me, to show you and me that we may have doubts sometimes. But if we do, we know where to go. And if we do, we know who to ask. And we know where to look. And I think in, in very simple terms, this is what David wanted. 
If you'll just say to me, God, that you're my salvation, then I will have the courage to face a thousand giants. And what I need is that voice echoing within my soul, giving me the strength to know that I can do the things that you're calling me to do and the things that I need to do. And I think, too, he, he was kind of saying, I don't, care, I don't even care if I lose this battle here. I don't even care if I lose these, these temporary little uh, skirmishes that we have or these little day-to-day -day problems that are going on. I really don't care about that. What I want to know is that when all of this is said and done and all the battles are over, that you will receive me into your eternity and that, that I just want to be where you are. You know, he, he stuck that in there. He could have went that whole psalm and not put that in there. And if you think about it, it's almost like it doesn't belong there because the rest of it is so confident. God, this is what they did, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. And there was an expectation that he would, but then there's that little, but God, what I need you to do is whisper to my soul and tell me that you are my salvation. And if you ask him to do that, will he do that? Yes, he will. He certainly will. And he's the only one that can give us that assurance. A church can't do it for you. A book can't do it for you. A pastor can't do it for you. Nobody can do it for you but the Holy Spirit of God. And this was coming from, this again was coming from the man who was a man after God's own heart. That was coming from a man who had defeated Goliath. He had been anointed king. He had been inspired by God to write all these psalms and all of these books of the Bible. And he was pleading with God, tell me, tell me that you are my salvation. You are my salvation. So I want us to bow our heads tonight. We should bow our heads for just a moment. And let me say this. Again, this man that was anointed to write Scripture was having questions and doubts. And he wasn't feeling very confident maybe in the moment that he wrote these words. And what I think that does is I think that just kind of underlines the fact that our salvation is not about how we feel. Because, because church, there's many days, many times, many moments where I don't feel like a, like a Christian. I don't feel like I'm saved. But what I have to do is I have to go back to that precious Word of God that tells me who I am, that tells me what He has done. And that it is a guarantee and I don't have to ever, ever, ever need to worry because He's got me taken care of. So maybe there's moments in your life where you would just say, I, I felt like David and I just wanted to ask God, I wanted to say to God, God, speak to my soul and speak these words to me. I am your salvation. Now maybe you're here tonight and you are just like, I know I'm saved. I know that I am, and I know I'm going to heaven, and, and there's something really, really good about being able to say that, and it feels great to have that confidence. But more often than not, you have had a moment in your life, or you will, where you have a question like David or a doubt like David. This man after God's own heart inspired to write Scripture asking God, Tell me. And just like the song we heard earlier, you know, we just like to hear, tell me that I am loved. Tell me I am known. 
Tell me that you died for me. Tell me that I'm not alone. We need to hear these things. And we need to be reminded again and again and again. So through the scripture that we've read tonight, maybe God is just speaking to your heart, speaking to your soul, that I am your salvation. And what is your response to that? You know, David said, you know, take care of my adversaries. I will praise you. I will praise you among the people. I will praise you in the holy place. In your heart, in your mind now, if, if you are grateful for that and you've just been reminded of that and you, and you have some things that you want to say to him, say those things now in prayer to God. You can come to the altar if you like. As a matter of fact, let's all stand. If you just want to speak to him where you're at, if you want to come to this altar and talk to him, you can. But are you grateful? Are you grateful that he has made it known to you that he is your salvation? Are these, is this important for you to know? Is it important for you to be reminded that it is not about how you feel, but it's about what God says? And are you thankful for the word of God tonight? And are you thankful for people in your life who told you about Jesus and that helped you to make a decision to follow him? And are you thankful to be reminded as well that we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us. Thank you, God, for reminding me how you want me to live and how you want me to love. dismiss in prayer I would like to ask just uh, for you to continue to pray for Teresa uh, and uh, there's still some issues and things that uh, she's looking for God to take care of so let's, let's join with her in prayer about those things and I'll ask if anybody has a prayer request that you'd like to mention out loud just raise your hand and I'll call on you and you can share that with the church and we'll pray for that tonight anybody in, in the sanctuary at all Go ahead, Joe. Okay, let's remember that. Anybody else? Elaine. remember that. Rhonda? Say that one more time. Okay. Okay. Let's remember her. Anybody else? Yes, Sammy. Let's remember that. Let's remember that situation. Anybody else? 
unspoken. Any other unspoken requests, just raise your hand. I'll just keep them up. Uh, okay, I'll do that. Oh, just everywhere. Okay, all over. All right. Okay. Um, I will mention this too before we pray. Uh, it's getting it's getting ever closer to when we're going to have a, a, a visitor from another land uh, that will be coming with Jennifer and, and Jared. And uh, we're doing a fundraiser yard sale, 1st of June. And if you've got any items that you'd like to, to bring in to donate for that, uh, you can bring them in anytime between now and then. And I guess the sooner the better so we can go ahead and price some things and get them ready for that day. So a lot of you have talked about this uh, and we're interested in this, so I know I know this will be good. So keep that in mind. And I think that's all. Oh, also, Sunday night, in-house singing. I, I, I heard tonight, we've got some good singers in here. So be sure and sign up before you leave tonight. We'll make a spot for you. Okay? Amen? All right. Those that said amen do have to sign up. No, I'm just kidding. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your patience with us and we are, are reminded as we read Scripture um, of what you did for us and, and the unfair return, uh, the unfair exchange that took place. Uh, you took so, so much from us and gave us so much more. And we have, you know, your, your crucifixion and your death and your walk down the Via Dolorosa and your triumphal entry into the city uh, just still fresh on our minds. And we just think about all you went through in that moment, in that, that one week there, um, and all that you experienced and all that you went through for us. And I think it's interesting uh, to note that every single person in this room was on your mind that week. Um, and every person outside of this room and every person that's ever lived and ever will live, because what you did was for all people. It was for those of us who consider ourselves not that bad, halfway decent people. It's for those people that we consider wicked and evil and so opposite of who we are. Uh, it's for those people halfway across the world who have nothing but the clothes on their back and can't even uh, can't speak English and, and have yet to hear the gospel of Christ. Yet what you did is for, for the world. God so loved the world. Help us not to pick and choose who it is that we want to see in heaven, uh, but help us to be free with our love and free with our uh, testimonies and free with our sharing of, of how God has come into our lives and made a difference and changed everything. And how you are continuing to change us is also uh, a reason for us to give you praise. You've got plans for each person in this room. You have uh, appointments for all of us. Uh, opportunities that are that lie ahead and you're teaching us and training us up to be ready and just remind us often uh, that you are our salvation and we thank you for the word of God that reminds us we thank you for the Holy Spirit that reminds us and we're thankful uh, to live in a country where we can still go to church and talk about it as well now we pray for each prayer request a lot of different situations and certainly a lot of unspoken requests. Uh, Father, we just help us to, to turn these over to you, just hand them over to you uh, for you to take care of them and help us to trust you uh, 
and learn to trust you more in doing this and help us to remember to give you praise as we see you working and doing uh, what you do so well. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.